Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Also, as you're listening to one of our early podcasts, may I suggest you skip to at least episode 12, where I guarantee it gets much better. This is Knowledge is Powder, a podcast for snowboarders and skiers. This voice belongs to Jim Duncan, a man whose biggest regret is spending a whole winter season playing more Tiger Woods PGA Tour on the PlayStation than on the slopes. It's true, no, I'm very embarrassed by that. And my co-host's voice belongs to Ian Martin, who, according to his Skipedia page, started his career in snow sports by embezzling money from the Birmingham University Ski Club. This week we are joined by Jamie Barrow, the UK's fastest snowboarder. Later in the show we'll be chatting to him about his uh, career in border cross speed records and more importantly his recent snowboarding trip to North Korea that he filmed for the National Geographic Channel. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us. But first, here's the news. Uh, yeah, in the news this week is, is Ed Sheeran in the ski industry. He's um, He could be the man to save the ski industry. And the reason I'm saying that is his new video, Perfect, is out at the moment. And it's set in a ski resort, uh, actually filmed in Hintertux, and it features him and a bunch of his mates going out, uh, doing a bit of skiing. He looks like a bit of a numpty on the slopes, but he manages to persuade uh, a very good-looking girl to, uh, to fall in love with him as he tells her that he's been dreaming about her all his life. And I'm sure with a bit of apres ski featured in there and some some torchlit descents and things like that, hopefully it will bring lots of people who would have never thought of skiing and, and make them book lots of holidays. So thanks, yeah, Ed. Good one, Ed. Uh, well, for me, it didn't really work because um, it was quite melancholic, the music, and but it doesn't really sum up skiing. Like, I'm all for one for, you know, a bit of riding down the mountain to Frank Sinatra, but essentially that wasn't really what I would think is skiing music. It didn't work for me. No, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I I wouldn't personally listen to it going down that slope, but I mean, if you're uh, if it's encouraging people to go skiing and snowboarding, then great. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much influence people would have. I think they're just kind of following where wherever Ed would be rather than the actual skiing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's great okay. to encourage. People. I, I I have a feeling could be like your North Korean experience, which we're going to talk about later. I've got a feeling that Hintertux controlled every element of the video. Oh, really? Okay, we'll see about this. <laughs> Do you think they missed a trick by not putting uh, David Hasselhoff in it? I think David Hasselhoff has to be in, in all ski uh, promotions from now on after his success at the ski show. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try and mention David Hasselhoff in every single edition. Should be law. Yeah, yeah definitely. Some other news. Um, Powered Air, um, a new ski airline has launched, providing winter sports fans with another route to the Alps with five flights from various UK airports to Sion in Switzerland. 
Um, it's clearly part of the Skin of tradition to use a snow pun for names. Um, but I wonder, in the light of uh, the collapse of Monarch, is it um, a good idea to launch a new airline specific on ski routes? I know it costs around about £150 a ticket each each way, which is a considerable amount more than, say, EasyJet. Um, however, you know, it's it's got good access to um, places like Zermatt and Verbier, so great up that end of the Alps. Jamie, I know you're working with uh, Powered Air this year. Um, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got to remember that with the additional cost, I th- I think you've got obviously the ease, but also all your luggage and everything's included. So also all the ski bags, all your luggage, everything is there. But so if you're going out there and you're just renting all your kit out there or you've, you've got a second home out there, and the, then you might not need these extra things. But for the people, the keen snowboarders who go out there, a lot you can also buy season passes which you get discounts on buying more flights at once your kids uh under i can't remember the age but they travel free and things like this is brilliant yeah well um 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 you know i think i should probably try it before i say anything else and and and, and have a look at it and i certainly hope that it uh it works and uh you know they uh they continue uh to get a lot of people going out to see on yeah sounds great uh, Jamie, did you see anything in the news this week you'd like to bring up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, now the winter season's kicking off. There's a lot of the British athletes all out in the mountains training and competing. And uh, actually, even off the mountains, to be honest, because my story's about uh, Kami Omorods. She's just uh, got silver medal at the Milan Big Air, where they build a massive ramp out of scaffolding. And um, yeah, she got a second place silver medal out there, which is a great start for her to, because coming up to the winter olympics all these results are really going to kind of show what's going to happen at the olympics itself and she's been doing so well she's been training really hard and she's been getting great results last season so it's a great way to start off this season Um, yeah absolutely um she's a she's a great success story for for the uh, team gb and what's happening recently and she should do amazingly at the olympics and i think from that she's going to have a huge career isn't she yeah, I mean, she, she already is as it is because she's got um, amazing backing as well, some amazing sponsors, and she's training all the time. You can see if you follow her anything on social media how much she's really working this, and she really wants it. And I think she's just done a, a recent interview saying she's going to be competing at the Winter Olympics in slope style and big air, and um, she's hoping to take a medal back from each one of those, which would be an incredible thing leading on from Jenny Jones last Winter Olympics, getting the first uh, medal on snow for GB in 50 years. So it's um, amazing to kind of see the development of British snowboarding and keep pushing it forward. Brilliant. Well, um, that concludes um, the news. You are listening to Knowledge is Powder. To get in touch with the show, tweet us at the Ski Podcast or email the Ski Podcast at gmail.com. So today we are joined by Jamie Barrow. Um, at a young age, he was a promising snowboard, uh, snowboard across, snowboard across star, winning competitions and competing on the Fist World Tour. In 2013, an accident put an end to that. He was told to stop snowboarding. Um, like normal people, uh, he ignored the advice of any doctors and carried on riding. However, he did stop competing in board across and look for safer things to do, like uh, competing in speed in, uh, speed snowboarding and breaking world speed records on his snowboard. More recently, he filmed a snowboarding 
documentary in North Korea for National Geographic. Uh, Jamie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know we really want to talk about um, your trip to North Korea. That's what we're mainly interested in. But could you kind of, you know, like uh, in a minute, could you summarise your career that's brought you to the point that you can work with someone like National Geographic? Yeah, I, th- oh, I think you kind of summarised it quite well there, actually, before <laughs> you don't need me here. But um, yeah, it was obviously the injury stopped me from competing and uh, I was told I couldn't snowboard again. So I wanted to try to find a way that I could get back to doing what I loved. And that's when I came up with the idea of doing a speed record because I thought, you know what, I could put up with the pain for doing 20, 30 seconds down a hill and still be able to push myself. And after that, I'm just constantly trying to push myself and find different ways to go faster or do interesting things that no one has done before. What what sort of pain are you talking about? So um, my... My injury itself is uh, it's a, a disc in my lower back. Uh, I completely destroyed it. So it's crushed, slipped, torn, <laughs> dehydrated. I mean, it's pretty severe. And I think if you look at the scans, it just kind of goes clear disc, clear disc, clear disc, and then just black. Um, it's definitely not good. And the doctors can't really do anything about it. And it's going to be a permanent injury for the rest of my life. And so I have to kind of learn how to deal with it, but at the same time, not let it hold me back. Impressive, impressive. I mean, I I struggle to do anything if I just got like a, a bad back, um, let alone what you seem to be achieving. <clears throat> Ian, what do you want to know about um, his trip to North Korea? Let's start there now. Well, it was a pretty amazing trip. I think it was earlier this year, wasn't it? In February, is that right, Jamie? Yeah, that, yeah, in February. Yeah. yeah. How, how did it come about then? How did that eventuate? Because not, I can't imagine there's many people offering trips to Korea, South uh, North Korea. Excuse me. No, um, well, it actually came up. It's quite funny because I'm always looking for new ideas to do for new videos and new speed records and things like this. And it was actually after a night out, I kind of came home with my friends and we were just kind of discussing things and what I could do about my speed records and interesting videos. And then I saw an article come up about there being a ski resort in North Korea. And I thought, wow, that'd be amazing to actually see that place in person and uh, actually discover these new places that not many people have been to. And so I contacted um, Yuri Tours, uh, which is because you have to, in order to get into North Korea, you have to go through a tour group. You can't just book a flight and go in there. You have to go through a tour group who get your visas and things like this. And Yuri Tours helped me out with that. And they supported my project to allow us to fly into North Korea. And, and when you say us, that was you and a cameraman, was it? Yeah, just me and a cameraman. Um, obviously, with normal documentaries or most filming, you'd have a, a bit more uh, more people involved uh, maybe a sound guy or an extra filmer but um, obviously North Korea being the way it is we were very restricted of what we could bring in uh, we only allowed one filmer and the cameras we were allowed to use had to be small and not massive uh, production cameras so we tried to get the best we could in 4k and uh, kind of just do the best we could with it and it ended up being amazing right and did they I mean during the uh the video, you know, I watched it again this morning. I've watched it before as well. You know, you keep mentioning that they're kind of watching over you and uh, the content of the video was sort of controlled. Did it Did it feel like they were always watching you? Did, did you check the hotel room for bugs or anything like that? <laughs> Not quite check the hotel room for bugs, but yeah, it, it was very controlled. But we were warned about this before going in. And I think it was more so the fact we were filming because initially... 
uh, when we put in to get the permissions to go in, they actually said no, and they weren't really going to agree with us to go in and film. And then it was a very last minute, about a week, couple of weeks before we were meant to go, that uh, we got a phone call from the, uh, or got an email from the Yuri Tours saying that for some reason they North Korea have come back and said, we've changed your dates, but you can you can come now. So we had to plan everything in a couple of weeks. And uh, when we arrived, we uh, we met up with our, our tour guides. And then from there, they really didn't let us go until we were in the hotel. And when we were in the hotel itself, uh, obviously we're left, we can do what I want. We want in the hotel. They're not with us at all times. However, we weren't allowed to leave the hotel. There was a bit of um, stone outside the hotel for people to go out and have a cigarette, but you weren't allowed to leave that bit of stone. Uh, otherwise, you c- could get in a lot of trouble. But saying that, the hotel itself, I mean, they've definitely tried to design it so that if you are to be stuck in somewhere, <laughs> uh, it's actually quite a lot of fun because it had, okay. I mean, it, it had a, a bowling alley, which we had to go out. Yeah. It had like all billiards and pool and things like this, and even uh, a casino, but for some reason it was closed when we were there, so I don't know. Right, so I'm visualising something like, I don't know if you've seen Narcos on Netflix, but, you know, when, when Pablo Escobar gets sent to prison, you know, no, no spoilers there, it's a kind of luxurious, but he's not allowed to leave. It was that kind of situation, was it? Yeah, I mean, you could say it like that, but it wasn't exactly like military guards on the outside. It was just kind of like everyone who goes there knows really don't mess about if they tell you to do something just Hmm. kind of listen to it and don't mess around so it wasn't like military guards on the outside or anything but they say it was Um, it was very controlled because at one point in the video they say that uh you say they told you to go and lay flowers down by uh the glorious leader's statue or something like that yeah that that was kind of a funny one because we actually went in on valentine's day (laughs) and uh the day we arrived so before we got to the hotel, we landed and we got got in the car and they said, well, it's the birthday um, of their leader. So we have to go lay flowers at the statues to show respect. And um, and so we we came along, we had to get these flowers. And it was kind of funny thing. We didn't actually show it in the video, but I got given these flowers. And obviously we're quite nervous because it's the first time we're in North Korea doing something that they've told us. And I don't want to mess this up here. So, and unfortunately what I did was, she just said, right, go straight and lay them at the statue. So I went straight and laid him down at the statue. But when I turned around, I looked at the guides and they were like, no, no, it has to be in the middle. So I had to go back, pick up the flowers, and then move it over to the middle of the yeah, statue. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get your flowers in come the back. place. No, that would... Yeah, I know. But it was just kind of ironic that the fact is it was on Valentine's Day yeah. I was giving uh, flowers to a statue instead of a real person. I don't think they really... Um, uh, they don't know what Valentine's Day is, but uh, yeah, it was just yeah. kind of ironic. Uh, Jim, well, if you um, if you strip out like all the the cliches and all the ideas and what you you kind of went through, what is it like as a as a snowboard trip? Just if you just put it down to that, as a snowboard trip at, at the resort itself. I mean, the resort is obviously quite new uh, for their. I mean, it's quite, it's everything new, but it's not exactly modern in its sense. It's got an old lift from, a uh, bubble lift from uh, Ischgl in Austria. And right. but the one amazing thing about it is it has great places to learn. So that's where everyone was. Everyone was on the learning slopes. And so they had the small tow rope and everything like this. And then over to the side of the mountain, you had a button lift to go right up, but an easy slope. 
But then when you want to go to the top, it had 10 slopes around. And some of them were decent lengths. I mean, they're around two kilometers long. It's not the longest slopes you'll ever go down, but they are enough. And they had good steepness. It was very good. And the best thing about it was the fact there was no one there. <laughs> and did you get some fresh powder on that when your trip? Yeah, we did. I mean, we had a, a few days up that we're only meant to, I think, spend a couple of days or a few days actually riding on the mountain. Uh, but then on the final evening, we were meant to leave the next day. Um, it dumped it with snow. And we so we kind of asked, you mind if we stay an extra day so we can get this snow? And we, we went up to the uh, top of the mountain and we just had fresh tracks all day because no one else was coming down. And uh, when I was saying about these 10 slopes... Um, they might have these 10 slopes, but they only piece three or four of them. So the rest of them are unpieced. So when it does snow, you've kind of got these open powder fields. And because there's no one there, it's just it's an incredible place, <laughs> incredible uh, sensation, really, not having to rush and only get maybe one or two runs in the day. We were still getting fresh tracks by uh, 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Amazing. You don't you don't get that in three months, do you? Um, what's, um, uh, what, how would you compare the APRO ski? Are we talking like hardcore Austrians? <laughs> yeah, not quite. Again, because there's not as many people there, you're not exactly going to get the crazy APRO ski. And, um, and the, yeah, it was not very busy at all. But, however, me and the uh, uh, Jackson Kingsley, we went, one of the last runs, we went to the top. And they do have, like, a cafe at the top of the mountain with two floors and they do karaoke up there so there was this family there doing karaoke with taking it way too seriously um and doing karaoke up there and we're just having a couple of beers uh and we were the only others there and we ended up having a couple of beers with them not being able to communicate at all um but it was it was good fun just having a couple of beers with them amazing um in the in the documentary obviously um it comes across and everyone says that the resort is for the population and we're really grateful thanks to the glorious leader but who do, who did you get the feeling that the resort was really for and why is it there it's it's kind of a hard question to answer because i'm trying to be unbiased with anything but it's absolutely it is um it's hard to see because we looked at some of the prices and things like this and prices were weren't cheap even for switzerland standards you know like switzerland or european standards and we thought that from what we had seen outside the capital, there wouldn't be really anyone who could afford to go there. And what we found out was, apart from maybe the elites and uh, people in the capital or working for the government or things like this, they could probably go there. However, we found out that in each area of North Korea, in the DPRK, they, um, their workers, the best workers of each month, get given a prize. And this, one of these prizes is to get, go to the ski resort. So you did have a couple of these people there who it was the first time ever seeing snow. And um, it, that's really what it's catered for. And I think also um, they actually have a, a ski race team as well. And um, they, they used to train at this small other resort that wasn't really open to anywhere. And I think what they did to, was to build this to show that the rest of the world they could and to kind of give their skiers a better place to train as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, it wasn't busy at the time. It's only been open for a few years and uh, then they're, they're not exactly going to get the major influx of tourism at the moment. 
uh, that they probably need. But I think it was just for them to show what they could do. Jamie, can I can I ask you? Do you think that those uh, people who were skiing there were actually there the week before you were there and the week after you were there, or do you think they were specially shipped in to make it look good while you were there? Do you know what I? I think if people were specially shipped. That many people, especially shipped in, for me, I'd be very surprised. I don't think they have any idea of who I was out there. Right. And, uh, I mean, I, I generally think there's people there who are uh, working there or are there to answer any press inquiries and things like this. But I generally think there are a few people there which have been given these prizes to come come there. I, I can't say anything yeah. else, really, because I, I don't know. But uh, the... The one thing was that the people we were allowed to speak to with our guides around, um, they were very rehearsed with the answers they gave. And uh, so those people are obviously there, the instructors that are there all yeah. the time. Um, but we weren't really allowed to speak to too many other people. Yeah. Really. And, and just, you know, you said you, you got to ski some fresh uh, powder. You know, looking at the uh, the piece that you went down, they were obviously, you know, very well maintained and groomed. I, I couldn't quite see. I was trying to look down the sides to see if they had artificial snow or if they had snow cannons there. Um, and I was wondering what kind of altitude it was, you know, in terms of, you know, natural snowfall, what you might expect. Yeah, they did. They did have a, a lot of artificial snow. I mean, on the first few days, that's pretty much all we were riding was artificial snow. And um, because they don't, it's not that high. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, they don't get the amazing snowfall. However, the artificial snow they made there was actually all right. And the slopes they maintained very well. Um, they even pieced it partway through the day, even though it was only a few of us going down it. They just wanted it to be perfect. So Yes, it was mostly artificial snow until it snowed, but it was, yeah, it was done quite well um, for what you would expect. How much has this trip changed your perception of the country? I think it's made it a bit more complicated because I, uh, I feel that obviously you get all these opinions from the media and you get all this video footage and you see what, the media are obviously going to show all the bad things. Now, of course, there's some horrible things going on in this country and there are a huge amounts of conflicts, but going there to see it for yourself is uh, was something I wanted to do. And I don't think anything's changed, but what I have been able to see is, first off, the country itself is absolutely beautiful and it's such a shame that it's not open to everyone to go and see because it is a beautiful country. And some of the people we were able to speak to when we weren't with the guides as well were just uh, really nice to speak to as much as we could with the translating. And I think, obviously, I can't state on all the arguments that are happening and all this conflict that's happening at the moment, but as a country as a whole, I, I just kind of want it to... I want this thing to be resolved so other people can actually see how beautiful this country is. And can I ask a, a question? Yeah, on your... Um return you know when that video went live and it was shared in a number of places I, you know i was looking at kind of some of the below the line comments and there are a few people out there who are kind of suggesting that uh you know this is really just a sort of pr job for uh, the north korean tourist board and um, i wondered if you wanted to respond to that but your case well, yeah, really. I think when it comes to YouTube comments, I think anyone who puts up videos will understand that majority of the people who are going to comment are ones that have really no life and just want to kind of 
and make an argument for anything. I've got this a lot with all my speed records. You get a lot of these people commenting for no reason uh, and saying bad things. However, I mean, I can definitely see why people might understand it might seem a PR stunt. But on the other hand, I think when you're watching this video, you kind of have to watch it with a pinch of salt because they're not going to let us come in to that country and then come out saying all negative things. And frankly, if I did say all negative things, it would be wrong. And so we went in there, we filmed and we made an edit, but the edit had to be approved by North Korea. And North Korea didn't want it to be fully positive either because then they would see, then people would see it as a propaganda video. So we had to try to get a happy compromise between the two and say what we wanted to say, where at the same time they were kind of happy for that to go out. So yes, it wasn't maybe the full edit we would want to do. Um, however, I do feel like we've got a good, happy middle, uh, just kind of being impartial because we're, I don't, I'm no expert to go and say one thing uh, and it means another, but it, I just want to kind of show it as an impartial video and anyone who watches it can take their own opinion on what yeah. they saw and uh, what they feel. Yeah. I really think you've uh, that was completely achieved. I, I've travelled extensively, extensively. I've travelled quite a bit in Russia. I've been there quite a few times. And it's kind of got that same preconceptions in some ways and stuff. Um, but when you go to the places, they are very different and the people you meet are fantastic. And I think the documentary you've produced is a really shows a really balanced view about it. And you kind of get that feeling that you're not negative about it, you're positive and you know, there's issues here and there, but what you've produced is just a really good all-round unbiased documentary as best as probably could. Exactly. And I, 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 like I said, I'm not out there to go and say negative things or positive things. I'm just out there to experience it. And I think we've got to give full respect to Jackson who did the whole film because he was put in under a lot of pressure with everything and with being filming in North Korea is obviously a, a scary thing to do. And he did such an amazing job all on his own. And the edit he came out with, was, which was absolutely amazing. Um, so I, I think the edit really comes down to, to him and the great job he did through it. I was just going to say, when we met at the, uh, at the ski show there, you, um, you mentioned that um, your, your laptop, which you took with you on the trip, has been, has been playing up a bit since you got back. Do you think that had anything to do with the trip itself? Yeah. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't know if it has anything for the trip itself or the fact that on the way back we had to fly through Russia. I don't know. But the, since I've got back, I keep getting hacked by yeah. uh, Russia for some reason. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with North Korea, but it's kind of a coincidence that I haven't been... Uh, had anyone hack my stuff before this documentary and now since this documentary i'm getting people trying to they're hack just, my just, they're just so you know that would be yeah. a person of interest yeah i don't know about that yet but um yeah it was just kind of interesting like i said i don't think it has anything yeah. to do with it but it's it's uh kind of strange Is it gonna? Is this gonna become um, a regular thing? Is you gonna become? Are you gonna do more directory direct um, documentaries? Basic, just skiing in um, countries with dictators. Is that is that gonna be your niche? <laughs> no, I don't think I'm actively finding dict- the next dictator and then trying to make them build a ski resort so I can go there. But I, um, I'm definitely looking. I'm always looking for interesting things to do, and and I am interested down the side of doing documentaries and doing down the filming side. 
because it allows me to be able to still snowboard even with my injury and do these exciting experiences. But there, there's also places that you wouldn't, there are quite dangerous, they can be quite dangerous and, but, and people wouldn't go there necessarily on a holiday. But even Iran, which is somewhere where people can go, yeah. but you wouldn't initially think of it. It's actually apparently got the most amazing snow out there. Yeah, there's a few tour operators. Yeah. There's a few tour operators that are offering uh, Iran yeah, and now. I've heard great. Things. I mean, you may, you, you obviously, uh, yeah, I can see you being a, a, a good presenter. Actually, when I was looking around uh, around the videos, I noticed that you did a presentation at uh, or did a TED talk in uh, Vienna a while ago. I wondered, I wondered how nervous you felt doing that relative to being towed behind a plane. At, uh, Do you know what? I, I, for the TED talk and stuff, it was one of the most scariest things I've done. I mean, because, you know, it's being streamed out and uh, being watched by so many people. And the fact is the auditorium in, um, well, the theatre in Vienna was just this incredible old theatre. And uh, it standing out in front of all these people who have come paid a lot of money to come see all this stuff and I'm talking about my snowboarding was quite nerve-wracking but it was an amazing experience and I, I do love kind of sharing my experiences and hopefully inspire others to kind of push themselves not necessarily get towed behind a plane. Well I, I think we you know we we thoroughly enjoyed it and have enjoyed chatting to you now and we look forward to when you when you notch up your next experience you can come back and tell yeah, us that uh, some great. more about it. Uh, go, I think you should do a Russian ski resort road trip. And if you do, can I come? Yeah, um, let's do it. Let's organise that. <laughs> I'm in. Um, okay, uh, you're going to stick around for a few more minutes. We've got um, uh, a feature that we do um, called, um, the, what do they call it? Guat de Guip, I think it was, uh, the Wasp Den. Um, so it's like Dragon's Den. I'm going to present um, an idea or a product, and you and Ian get to choose if you want to pitch for, uh, invest in it. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so um, imagine that you really like getting drunk and you're going skiing quite a lot and you just uh, haven't got any pockets to keep a hip flask in it. But there's good news. We've got poles that you can fill up with booze and wow. you can carry them around and ski and uh, get as drunk as you like on the sly. What do you think? Of I've that? actually seen these things. I, um, I've actually seen these things on the mountain. I think they're a great idea. Not very useful for me because I'm a snowboarder. Um, yeah, so I don't have the poles. Um, however, I'm sure if my friends got one, I'd be stealing a bit of it. But you've got you've to think about it, right? Yes, you've got, you could probably get some alcohol with you. But surely you normally have a backpack, which you could probably put at least a hip flask in into a pocket or something like this. And you've got to also think, how much alcohol could you actually put in that pole? Think well, they, it's, it's, eight, it's eight fluid yeah, ounces, well, which is, is two pints. What is two that pints. in normal? You can fit two pints. two pints. Two pints of whiskey, one in each pole. I mean, how drunk I, do you need to get? What do we think? Yeah. How can we make extreme <laughs> sports more difficult? I know. Let's all have a way we can carry around two pints of vodka. Yeah. Well, firstly, that's going to start getting... And is this... Is this... Yeah, go on, Ian. Is it a real product? How much is it? How much uh, is it can, on sale for? Yeah, I've probably got it on Kickstarter. I think you can get one set for sixty nine dollars if you wanted to buy them. Um, sixty nine dollars. Yeah, I, I just go for the backpack. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I think they're free from ski set, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think exactly. I'm. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna, pass I'm, I'm on gonna have to pass as well because surely it's gonna be so heavy skiing around with those as well with two of those on. 
I just it's just completely unnecessary. You're you're wise to not invest, I think. You're very wise. Um so Knowledge is powder, because being a skier is 1% riding and 99% talking about it. To get in touch with the show, tweet at the Ski Podcast or email <laughs> the Ski Podcast at gmail.com. Um, Ian said he wanted some stings, so um, I spent some time doing that. Um, let's talk about snow. It's been snowing a lot. Ian, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very good weekend. Um, you know, there was a bit of snow the week before, but over the weekend, we've seen a lot of snow uh, come down pretty broadly uh, across the Alps. You know, if you go right up to the top of the glacier and team, there's one photo flying around on Twitter at the moment uh, with a metre of new snow. And, it, you know, it looks very good. These photos are great. Um, Courcheval is going to open tomorrow uh, for just a day. They're going to have a, a day of free skiing if you happen to be in the area and um, a free parking as well. Valterrans is opening this weekend, yep. I think a week early. Uh, Verbier opened you know, last weekend, just, just for the weekend. Uh, you know, it's certainly looking um, much better and it's cold. The snow cannons have been on as well, you know, in the, in the Pyrenees, the snow as well across Austria. So, you know, all the way down to 700 metres in the uh, in Austria as well. So very, very positive. And I believe there may be another cold snap on the way to the end of this week. So, you know, we're on the, in the middle of November now. Um, very encouraging and, you know, looking good for uh, anyone who wants to sneak in a, an early season trip. It could be much more positive. Than the the key thing is that it's staying cold because like, um, this happened almost like last year, didn't it? But then yeah. it heated up a lot. Yeah, that's what I was going to... Yeah. Well, I think it was even earlier. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because last year we got so excited when it started snowing kind of around this time, maybe a bit earlier, like you said. We got so excited. Oh, it's going to be amazing Christmas again uh, with uh, Christmas, New Year with a lot of snow. But then it didn't snow again. And it, it was it was a really bad uh, snow over the, uh, the holidays. And let's just hope it stays cold and snows again. Fingers crossed. Absolutely fingers crossed. Okay, so that's um, pretty much everything we're going to talk about in the podcast. Thank you very much to Jamie um, for joining the stage. Very nice to listen to your story. It's fascinating. If you get a chance, go and Google um, Jamie Barrow National Geographic Snowboard Trip and you'll find it. It's a phenomenal um, watch and very interesting. Ian, thank you very much, as always, for joining us. And All right, Kim. That well, concludes you. today's show. Music is by FreeSX, Purple Planet and Ben Sounds. The podcast was produced by Jim Duncan and Ian Martin. 